You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. I'm Rodney Davis. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Patrick, Rodney, Caitlin, welcome. Cinco de Mayo. Patrick, as you pointed out, we should start with a discussion of everyone's favorite type of margarita. Which we are not drinking at 9 a.m. Yeah. Patrick, you, you, you put the topic out there. You start. Well, our missing partner, Mark Alderman, nailed it. Just straight no salt. I'm a, I'm a minimalist. So I, that's, that's my go-to. Straight tequila or straight, uh, straight up margarita? Just straight up margarita. <laughs> no frozen? No, absolutely not. Rodney, I'm not going to the Chili's off I-55, okay? <laughs> I'm getting a craft, <laughs> nice, solid margarita. And so it begins. <laughs> you know, I never thought I'd be emasculated by Patrick on a on an iced drink that is very popular where I come from. Caitlin, uh, Caitlin, please. I love a good skinny, spicy Casamigos, little jalapenos um, muddled in there and spicy skinny. Only Casamigos, only the best. Rodney. None. I don't drink any mixed drinks. Nope. No. Closest thing to a margarita. margarita. (laughs) I got a fridge full of margaritas that look like bush lights. That's about it. How did you come to fall in love with bush light? Was that just, you know, for your constituents or do you really love bush light, Rodney? I really do. I mean, I can open my fridge and there's probably at least 10 or 12 sitting in there. It's a go-to from where I come from. So my hometown, if if you're trying to go get beer for, let's say, Thanksgiving, and if you don't buy your Bush Light or Natty Light before Thanksgiving holiday begins, it'll be cleared out all weekend. I mean, you could find even long before the Bud Light controversy, you could always find Bud Light, you could always find Bud, you could always find Miller or Coors, but around Taylorville, Illinois, you better get your bush light and you better get your natty light. But the reason I, I got on it, number one, it tastes really what it tastes really good. I mean, you guys should try it. I, I didn't know that. But it is <laughs> it is very economically sustainable, too. So, you know, the economy starts to help with taste once in a while. And then you go to some expensive stuff. You always got to go back to your go-to. And and for me and most of my hometown, it's bush light. I've seen you order a couple of expensive beers in restaurants when forced to, and it's like painful for you to actually do it. It is. You know, I like to go to every restaurant, all these high-end restaurants that you and Patrick go wear your matching little (laughs) outfits with the same labels on, you know, while I'm in my tank top, of course, going out. And I I always ask them. I mean, it is a game. They will say, I'll say, what kind of beer do you have? And they'll say, well, here's our list. I said, do you have Bush Light? And there's only one place that I've seen, actually two, Pearl Street Warehouse, where Elliot Burke stocks it there for me, and the Republican Capitol Hill Club. Capitol Hill hey, did Club. Elliot, did Elliot find his wallet, by the way, Rodney? That was the only bad thing that happened at our party is he emailed me the, ne- the next day. It was the only negative feedback I got that he lost his wallet at our reception. 
I I didn't know he lost his wallet, but that's actually hilarious. I uh, know we got to give him crap for it later. Sorry, Howard. To- I, no. I'm going <laughs> to bet Towner lifted it. Could be. <laughs> yeah, he go. needed it to do his complete his double max to uh, Tim Scott's presidential <laughs> yeah, campaign. His double right. max to Tim Scott. Yeah. yeah. My my go to to bring it back to the margarita, Caitlin. It's it's pretty much yours. It's. You know, a spice, a good spicy margarita with the tagine rim. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like I like that a lot. That's that's kind of my go to. So, so wait a you minute. You drink wait, a lot I, of those I, at Millie's, Howard, don't you? I do. But I also I also like pink drinks. I have to embrace my pink drink dumb. What am, is a tagine rim? What uh, is that? Uh, is that tagine? I don't know. I don't know. Tagine, tagine. I don't know. But. It's it's that spicy salt like mixture that a they smokiness. Yeah, come on, Rodney, get out. Maybe we'll put a tahine or tagine rim on your bush light and see if that spices it up a little bit. It might not. Know, it might, might actually be, be a good combo. Well, it the would, next time I'm at the Capitol Hill Club getting a can of bush light, I'm like, hey, it, Tina. Can yeah. you put a tagine tahine rim on that thing? <laughs> it would mask the flavor of the bush light. It might be actually pretty good. This is so much better than talking about Donald Trump this morning. Right. You will be surprised how many, how many vagrants like the three of you I'm always made fun of bush light. When I would walk around Capitol Hill with bush light, I would have it in the hallways of the Rayburn building or in the Longbrook building. And you would be shocked to know how many of them now stock it in their refrigerator. Yeah. Not just for so, me. So, guys, once again, the April jobs report is out and hiring has once again exceeded expectations significantly. Significantly. By about 50% over the expected number. I'll tell you, I see this every day with our clients. We have lots of clients that employ uh, hourly wage workers. And every single day, I hear another story about another challenge associated with hiring and people walking across the street to the the higher wage rate job. And it's, it's economically rational behavior. And we're in, I, I don't care what, they say we are in an environment, I don't care what the economists say, we're in an environment of where employee employers cannot find enough workers. And I mean, the jobs data shows that and wages, as far as I see, they're going up, not, not down. And people will leave a job to get a better job. Um, that's the, that's what I'm hearing from clients every day and actually seeing with some of the work we do where that poses challenges for employers. It creates a continued muddled picture from an economic point of view. Meanwhile, we've got, so we've got robust hiring on the one hand, we've got this debt ceiling fight brewing on the other hand, we've got Sharply increased interest rates. The Fed again raised interest rates this week, which. But that announcement was kind of a a little bit of a surprise, too. Right, Howard? I mean, to only go up a quarter of a point and all indicators from Powell's statement were 
he didn't say explicitly this may be the end of increases, but he changed his remarks and he pointed to the fact that it's possible that, you know, we've kind of reached what we need to do. Well, except inflation has been persistent. Right. Prices haven't come down. I mean, they've cooled a bit. Yeah. But the inflation has been very stubborn. And that's why, and and look, I think a lot of that is tied to the fact that people are making more money and can afford to buy more. And so the demand side of the supply and demand equation is, is robust. But there's no doubt that higher interest rates equal constrained balance sheets. Companies have less money to, they have less disposable cash. That plus higher wages equals significantly less disposable cash. The higher interest rate environment is what has has hurt the um, the banks that continue to experience serious stress. I guess this it feels to me like Rodney, like the most murky economic picture in in your and my lifetimes. I won't include Patrick and Caitlin in this because they're too young to comment, but you and I, you and I have more life perspective. I just, I don't remember a time where the, with the signals being as mixed as they are right now, the market isn't in a bad place. No. And I, this has to, I think the way this all tilts from a political point of view we're not this is a political podcast not an economics podcast but it just it adds up to a a lot of confi- a lot of political confusion i think rodney uh, it certainly does uh, but i i would probably disagree that this is the murkiest economic time of of our lifetime i, I think the financial crisis that you had a bird's eye view from was a lot murkier than where we are today. I mean, you saw the market drop substantially. I mean, people lost uh, a good chunk of their their built-up investment wealth on paper overnight. Now, granted, all of that came back, but you know, if you were ready to retire, that would have been the time that would have been that crisis, that personal crisis. And and when you look economically, I agree with Patrick. Jerome Powell said he 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 didn't necessarily say it directly but he he insinuated this is the end of the interest rate increase and i don't think most of america um that hasn't lived through higher interest rates like you and i have howard where you know i thought it was a great deal in my first house when i got an 8.875 interest rate i don't think it's sunk in yet for a lot of americans who have been used to the substantially lower interest rates for an extended period of time. And when that does, I think you'll see demand go down. I think you'll see their own personal economic decisions tighten up. And then we'll have to see if what has happened with the Fed uh, by increasing interest rates, if it will tamp down inflation. But the biggest problem that I think we have economically, and I'm not here to uh, to, to beat up Caitlin and Patrick's generation of losers and lazy people, uh, but, um, in the end, we have a neither Patrick nor Caitlin is a loser and lazy. Whatever, moderator. I don't know. Um, I'm sorry, Rodney. We're in this situation because of the boomers. Uh, I'm not. Hey, hey, we're not boomers. 
I know, so but Gen Xers like Howard and me, we are the calming, sustainable generation. That's who we are. And, and it's what we're trying to be to both of you. But we have a financial literacy crisis in this country. We don't teach it enough. And I see it every day with my own kids. The reason that I say it's murky is it's mixed. That's I, what I, yeah. I agree, I agree yeah. that the financial crisis was a dire time, although that was actually a financial crisis. It was a credit crisis. It wasn't, it had the potential to become an economic crisis, but it wasn't actually an economic crisis. It was a financial crisis. This is just a weird economy, Patrick. And I, I, I got to yeah. tell you, to me, this is, it's a direct result of too much government stimulus during COVID. And we yeah, talked about I, it on the podcast. I, I remember clearly saying it to Mark at the time. Larry Summers wrote an op-ed yep. um, where he, at the beginning of the Biden administration, where he talked about where we were, where all the stimulus was going to lead. And he urged the government to stop. And our friend and partner, Mark Alderman, defended it. But that he called it. And it's too much economic stimulus led to too much inflation, led to too much, too late of a reaction by the Fed, which has in some corners of the economy created this kind of whiplash effect. And I, I just I think and look, it's both parties. Um, in fact, we can blame Rodney for a lot of this because he was in Congress when Congress did a lot of the stimulus. So, Patrick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think you're right that we're way. I mean, the government response to COVID, I think, is a big part of this. And it's it's just tough to I mean, it's it's kind of crazy. I agree with you that it's murky. But if you look at like. Two hundred fifty-three thousand jobs added last month, unemployment drops to three point four percent when economists were predicting it was going to go up to, I think, 3.6 or 3.7. The Fed only increases rates by a quarter of a point. The comments from Powell indicate that, I mean, maybe we're not going to go into a recession and maybe this cooler, cool off, soft landing strategy they have could be effective. Like if you're hearing all that, that sounds positive, but I, I think you're right. And I'm not, I try not to be just a pessimist, but there are all these other indicators that you feel like, you know, uh, the economy is not as sound as the kind of stats I just read would have you believe. And I, I, so yeah, I think murky is the exact right word. I, I think you're a hundred percent spot on. And I think there's just been all these things that like states having, you know, balanced budgets for the first time, all these things that are sort of artificial, right? That that just all had to do with, to your point, the, the government spending during COVID. And you're going to start to see all of that start to change over the next I mean, year. Caitlin, you and I were intimately involved in some of the targeted stimulus during COVID related to certain corners of the economy, like the <laughs> hotel industry that- Restaurant, relief right, funds. Right, you, you and I were very involved in that. And I mean, that made sense, but the general stimulus out to the general business community, I mean, it's weird. It's weird where we are looking back. Look at but COVID the actually was a boom. Well, that's what, 
under the higher education relief fund. I mean, look at some of these. It's funny. We're talking about the student debt crisis and Biden wanting to forgive, you know, billions in student loan debt. At the same time, we literally gave these higher education institutions during COVID millions of dollars per institution. And that's another clear example. They can't even spend all the money that they were given during COVID. Or to Patrick's point about the states that use that money to balance their budget. Yet, I don't know, Patrick, your state of Illinois, Rodney, your state of Illinois, I don't see your governor saying, oh, our budget's looking pretty good. Maybe I should lower taxes a little bit for uh, the people of Illinois. I mean, this is a disaster of our own making. And I'll go back to what I was harping on for two years on this podcast is we shouldn't have, we should not have shut the whole damn economy and country down during COVID. That's a whole different discussion, but even though we were locked inside of our homes, we, I mean, it was economic boom time, I guess, partially Rodney, because of all the money going out the door, but partially because people were sitting in their homes, they didn't have anything else to do. And they were just at least in the white collar corner of the economy. I mean, we were, everybody we know was cranking and deals were getting done and people were working around the clock. And it was a very productive time for people that could work from home for many people that could work from home. I don't want to overgeneralize because if you were sitting in your house and you know, Patrick, you were the parent of three little kids under five. It's like, you know, not an easy time from that point of view. But of course, you know, it's so it's not that simple. But I guess, Rodney, looking back at what was done and look, I mean, it's hard to Monday morning quarterback, but the U.S. did more stimulus than any other Western country. Couldn't agree and, more. I was I was part of it. Yeah. And what are your thoughts looking back and what are your thoughts? And and does this matter for either party going forward? Uh, it, it obviously matters. I mean, it's it's tough for us Republicans to regain the fiscal conservative mantle again. I agree with Caitlin. We've got to look back on some of the decisions that policymakers made going into COVID and at the beginning of COVID. And we got to understand where we made mistakes. I mean, at, at some point, I was just flabbergasted when we had what was a drafting error, giving people more money than they were making while working on unemployment. That became a hill for Democrats to die on in Congress. And, and I would get asked about it when I would go out on the campaign trail. You're, you're for uh, taking away bonus unemployment for people who can't find jobs. I'm like, yeah, you you, you got to make it fair. But but in the end, all of this, what we were asked to do, and, and this is the bird's eye view of, of going on a plane with four people to cast a vote to spend $3 trillion, where I watched people who had never voted for an appropriations bill willingly stand up and vote yes, because for the first time in our lifetime, the federal government told private businesses that you're going to shut down. And imagine if we didn't have that initial stimulus to keep them going. However, now that we know you can keep the economy open, the blue collar workers who were going to work every day, the, the grocery store workers, the essential workers that were at our gas stations, they there, there was not an overabundance of COVID deaths within those professions. And you look at a state like Florida, 
that kept their schools open. Their educational attainment rates were higher than states like Illinois. And when you look back, we've got to make different decisions if it ever happens again. Now, to keep spending trillions after COVID is basically over, that's what the Biden administration has done. And I think it nuclearized the acceleration of inflation. Yeah. But, but, it was... but I'll tell you, to make a political comment, if you're the Biden administration, and that's what we're doing, we're talking about the economy, but how, to Howard, your question, how it impacts both parties, listen, the election's a year and a half away. And so analysts are just spot pricing kind of where things are today. But if you're the Biden administration, you're waking up Friday morning, you're going, you know what? We had a 250,000 jobs this month. Unemployment's 3.4%. Labor is strong, which is the backbone of the Democratic coalition. Rates were only increased a quarter of a percent. Hopefully, inflation's starting to cool. Fed chair says we're more likely not to go into a recession. And on the political side, the Republicans are looking to potentially nominate the guy they beat the last time. He's not like I think the White House is feeling fine. They don't care what the approval rating is uh-huh. in Gallup on any given day. They're like, you know what? We're, they're we're not going to do they're not going to take a victory lap patrick no that, no because no, 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 they no, no. know That's what lurks what I'm saying. that yeah. is not what i'm saying i'm saying if you're asking joe biden on friday morning how he's feeling he's like could be a heck of a lot worse <laughs> That's true. That's true. He's, he's saying i think we're you know well let's go into next week i just there's not going to be like oh god you know what now i mean yeah i mean and rodney like to the extent we shut down, we shut down under Trump. And and it, I agree. I mean, we, we we did. And that's what's going to come up. Yeah. You, you broke the Trump seal today. You had to do it, didn't you? Um, T-R-U-M-P. You know, Patrick Not alluded to it. But, but yeah, in I the didn't end, say it. I, but yeah. But in the know, end, Trump, Trump seal. begged us. He begged us in Congress to pass this stimulus. And and I got to tell you, the folks that worked for the Trump administration, I think Steve Mnuchin is going to go down as one of the best treasury secretaries that we've ever had uh, because he had to figure out a way to, to, to get capital into those businesses to help them survive and keep those folks employed. I mean, we would have had a massive unemployment surge more so than what we had. But in the end, you know, the 3 trillion didn't help Donald Trump get reelected. And when you look at the debate on the Republican side, you've got Governor DeSantis who bucked Trump when he was when when Trump was listening to Dr. Fauci and in favor of shutting down a lot of our our country and keeping schools closed, no matter what they say now. That's going to be a big debate in the Republican primary, and that's what I think. You know, Ron DeSantis he, he showed who he was with Florida's response to COVID. And I don't think anybody statistically, economically, educationally can argue whether or not he was right. No, but who But who knew? Who knew on all this? Who knew on the public health dimension? Who knew on the economic dimension? That's the point. I mean, we had to make decisions in the heat of the moment. Some of them were right and some of them are wrong. And some of them are still, I think, I guess they're all still reverberating in one way or but, another. But we did know, we did know. All we had to do was go look at the people <laughs> who never stopped working, who were told don't wear a mask because you're taking it away from sick people. Then we're told put a head cover on and mask up five times and 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 look at the statistic of whether statistics of whether or not they had an increased number of deaths during the time they weren't using those mitigation measures or the times that they were. 
And when mm. you look statistically, there was not an overabundance of increase of deaths in those professions. You had the statistics. And you, you couldn't look do at that, Rodney, because Twitter and Facebook were blocking that information from being out there. Ooh, the tech conspiracy. I... I don't even know what you guys are talking about. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wasn't what, going. I, what I, I, weird planet did I just get imported? To? Yeah, just, I, I wasn't just going anywhere. My coffee. I was drinking going. my margarita and my coffee cup. There you go. There you go. But <laughs> I was told Rodney, not to go to. I was told not to go to parts of my district. I mean, they were like, "No, we don't want you coming here." That's just because they don't like you. That had nothing yeah. to do with COVID. <laughs> hey, 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 I won. I won by more that time you know i mean shoot after you tried to beat me in 18 patrick they just didn't want you to come around i don't know i i think a lot of this has to do with like people's personal view of the world and how they're wired and and i i didn't want i wasn't going anywhere i don't i by the way i didn't care what the government said i didn't listen to what the government like to me, the government was the least responsible actor in this whole thing. When when I had co- when I first got COVID, which was post vaccine, but still when it was pretty bad, the the place I trusted least for my information as far as what I was experiencing was the government. And I. I mean, we need wholesale reform and but but Rodney, you said earlier that the Republicans have given up the ability to claim that they're the party of fiscal sanity and and all that. But aren't they trying to do that right now? Yeah, and they're regaining Um, that. Kevin McCarthy's done a great job. Yeah, but at at what cost and where does it where does it land? I mean, I, I don't know, you know. They passed a bill, but is that bill isn't ultimately going to pass the United States Senate or be signed into law by Biden? It's a it's a messaging bill. It's a it's a stake in the ground. And you may have a different view on this than I do. But my view is those kind of messaging bills, both parties do them. They're way overdone. And nobody in America actually knows or cares. This I, I would argue I've, I've been through a lot of messaging bills during my 10 years of voting for many of them and creating many of them myself. But this is more of a leverage bill. Um, Kevin McCarthy had to show the Biden administration and Chuck Schumer that he could keep recalcitrant Republicans together to come up with a plan of action to be his negotiating point, opening negotiating points. And, And in the end, it's a leverage bill because there are enough Senate Republicans that agree with Kevin McCarthy. And at some point, the national news media, the Democrats, and especially the Biden White House is going to have to come to the realization that this isn't going to be like every other every other debt limit fight or, or government shutdown fight where everybody blames the Republicans. The Republicans and Kevin McCarthy did their job, and, and they've done a better job of messaging what they've done to the American people than they have in the past. Yeah. And that's why I think it's different. Caitlin, I just feel like overcorrecting is is what's going on. Like too much stimulus during COVID. The Fed was too late to the party as far as cooling the economy, and they overcorrected. And that overcorrection is what 
has led to the downfall of of a bunch of banks and stress that's out there, even though we're not feeling it from a jobs point of view. Overcorrection on the debt ceiling is not a way to make up for years of of overspending. That's not that's not how you do this. I don't know, Howard. We just started this conversation by talking about the glut of dollars in the system from COVID relief funds. And part of this proposal is clawing back some of those unused funds that are unneeded at this point. And we talked about how employment is incredibly low and at a, you know, and but but yet we have clients every day telling us they need workers. I think instituting some work requirements for some of these social programs, which is also part of the agreement. I mean, look, I don't think all of these. Joe Manchin certainly doesn't think all of these um, provisions in the Republican negotiated debt ceiling package are non-starters. And to, to Rodney's point, it's it's the opening salvo, right? What do we, we had the bill that no one thought Speaker McCarthy could pass. He passed it. Now the White House has finally picked up the phone and calling him. And there's a meeting on Tuesday. This we talked about the past couple of weeks. There's always been negotiation around the debt limit fight. And Republicans have the House, and there is leverage there, and the White House needs to sit down and have a serious negotiation. Well, that's fair. And and of course, there are sensible policies inside the bill. But that, to the extent we're playing a game of chicken here with the economy and our credit rating and our borrowing costs, because that's ultimately what this comes down to, if they... This just isn't the way to have the com. It's not an. It's not a responsible adult way to have the conversation. It, it never is. It's like no. we become addicted to a fight over the debt ceiling, as opposed to addicted to. Like we have to have our backs against the wall in order to have a reasonable policy conversation, Patrick. And it just it's not the way to do this. Agreed. I just don't think. Washington, as it exists right now, knows any other way. And there's just not the political leadership to to change it. And so I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think we're going to continue to go however long we extend this for. Just, you know, we're going to do this again in a couple of years. And yeah, it's pretty disappointing. But I think they'll, you know, I think they'll eventually work something out. We'll probably have some crappy market days ahead when we get closer and closer to the brink and those are always not fun but uh you know eventually they'll get to a deal there'll be enough reasonable people i think house democrats are gonna have to get signed off because i I frankly don't believe whatever compromise they get is going to be good enough for the 217 republicans who voted for mccarthy's package so i think they're gonna need some democratic votes to pass whatever they ultimately agree to Democrats have to come to the table and negotiate too. like Biden's view. Democrats who Biden. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Uh, they're going to negotiate. Yeah. But you know what they're going to have to negotiate is going to have to be a group. I mean, where Democrats always feel like this is it's Democrats get tired of feeling like they got to do the work of government, like that ultimately they have to vote to pass whatever, you know, how many democratic votes in the house is it going to take? to get whatever compromise they work out over the finish line. It's going to take some. So they, you know, that means that House Democrats are going to need some buy-in too, right, Rodney? 
Absolutely. And you already have some buy-in. I mean, you've got Jared Golden, who represents a Trump district. Jared's a friend of mine. And in Maine. Keep, yep. In Maine, keeps winning this district that he shouldn't yeah. because he's 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 a, a dying breed. He's a moderate in Congress. And, and in the end, it's going to be people like Jared who are going to come around to say, yeah, we have to have some fiscal sanity. And that's why I, I think you'll you'll see a deal. Uh, he has said to the Biden administration publicly, negotiate with McCarthy, negotiate with Republicans. It's what's best for our country. And I think you'll see more Democrats uh, like Jared come out uh, in the next few weeks to, to say the same. Yeah, yeah the McConnell think- dynamics interesting. I think, you know, Biden obviously has been through a round of this before with McConnell and uh, that gives Democrats some nervousness who didn't like the deal they cut in 2011. But there's there's enough adults in that room that, you know, at some point they'll be able to get agreement on something. You know, Mitch and Joe are having sidebar conversations throughout this whole thing. Well, there's just there's just people who I mean, e- and even if they aren't right now, there's just grownups. I I still believe that are just not going it, to it's it's going to be it's silly how close to the you know, Cliff, we're going to have to come and to your original point, Howard, I think yeah. it's just dumb, but you know, we're not going to default. That's just not going to happen. We're it's, not going to, we're not going to default, but, but I, I, I don't like to accept the premise that what Republicans in the house have done is childish is, Oh, I don't, you know, is I not, don't think that, but, but when you, when you say, oh, McConnell and, and Biden are having sidebar conversations, all that does is take away any discussion of, of what we just talked about, which a major problem was too much stimulus. Caitlin laid it out very effectively earlier. Hey, this is a way to begin to claw back some of those unused funds. This is a way to begin to put the country back on a path to better fiscal prosperity. But in the end, I think McConnell is doing what McConnell does best and talking to no one and saying, I don't have the votes. And most of my people are with McCarthy. And that is a huge step for Mitch McConnell. I, I sat down with Mitch probably for a half hour as I was on my way out of Congress. I think he's strategically the best legislator that I've probably ever worked with in the House or the Senate. He knows where his where his caucus is. He knows where his members are. And I think he's sitting back just quietly watching McCarthy and giving him the ability to use that leverage to be able to have that agreement. Caitlin, it's just whether it's the debt ceiling or appropriations or whatever it is, it to me, it's corrosive from a national, the point of view of the national psyche to have these battles that get, or it's the COVID bills or whatever it is, you have these battles where you know it gets all the press attention and market attention and go back and forth but cynically everybody sits there and says well at the end of the day they're going to get a deal done when their backs are really against the wall they're going to get a deal done it just it feels it doesn't feel good for the country that that's the way things get decided and it's almost like uh, and by the way, Rodney, I don't think it was childish to pass a bill. I just think it's not the end of the it's not the end of the equation. Um, but it does feel childlike to have to 
wait until our backs are against the wall to actually like get anything done. It feels, it doesn't feel good from a, the point of view of the national psyche and people's view of government. Caitlin, he, he, you want to go ahead and respond first? Because I, I was just going to add, I'm going to eviscerate I've, him. I've seen some <laughs> recent polling that really Americans do really care about our out of control spending. And Yes, we, Congress, Rodney knows this from his time there, legislate up to the last possible moment. That's when we actually get things done. And I hear what you're saying, Howard, about playing chicken and the markets. And people and don't take it that. seriously. We don't, we're we don't really leverage. take it seriously. The House Republicans are exacting leverage, like is what always happens with a debt ceiling bill and negotiation. And keep underestimating. Speaker McCarthy, keep going. I will. The tremendous leverage from the four seat. It's like comical listening to this. Like the the idea that he, I mean, he's a new speaker overseeing a super small majority because you guys blew the midterms with your stupid messaging on all sorts of different issues. You should have a 30 or 40 seat majority. Still have the gavels. And once again, Republicans just blow it. And so Democrats still in the majority in the Senate, they picked up a seat, Democratic president, and everything is hinging on, you know, Kevin McCarthy, like he's like he's Sam Rayburn and he's, he's going to oversee some. It's just I mean, listen, they'll get a deal. Republicans have the majority in the House, whatever. But I mean, what are we even talking about here? Republicans increase the debt ceiling with no strings attached under Trump. Am I right? And that now there's correct. this just I unbelievable president. We now that always, we have a Democratic president, there's, there's just there's this always like, strings. There's always strings attached. You 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 don't have a clean debt ceiling increase ever if you even change some punctuation. It's it's different. Okay, I mean it's it's different. It's it, that's the debate that drives me crazy. I I did not listen to the podcast before I started working here and what? got on the unemployment. I didn't got off the unemployment what? line. I didn't know you guys existed you would not have on come podcast. Here if you've been listening to the podcast. Well, you know what? I'm going to have a talk with my headhunter because she didn't do the correct oppo research. But the only way I knew Patrick Martin before I got here is because he always showed up on my opponent's financial report for giving her to beat me. And I will guarantee on that podcast before I got here, before Kevin McCarthy had that small majority. He was like Nancy Pelosi with the exact same majority, I might remind you, after a devastating 2020 election cycle where Democrats predicted they were going to beat me and pick up 15 to 25 seats. She had the exact same majority and had the ability to move things through the Senate, move things through the House. You were saying she was a legislative genius. She made Sam Rayburn look terrible, made it like he wasn't even effective. The bottom line is American, America chose divided government. You're going to get to the brink if people are not willing to sit down. The Republicans, because McCarthy was able to do what Pelosi was always congratulated for and was lionized for, he what, did it. Passing a bill. Passing a bill that was yeah, going to be Ronnie, a disruptor. It, and Ronnie, now Biden is, says, I'm not going to talk until white. Ronnie, wait, it is different pressure. to pass a bill when you have unified government of your own party because that bill actually has a chance of becoming law or something like it. I mean, the fact that we're supposed to celebrate that he can get 217. So, so he shouldn't one, have done it. 
So he shouldn't no, have done it. He can no, do he, it, but it's embarrassing that we're like giving him credit for it. Of course, you should be able to pass a bill. It's more embarrassing to give Nancy Pelosi credit for keeping her conference together when they have all well, branches. My and, and my you guys lionized her. You guys made her look like she's the best speaker ever, ever, ever. And I will tell you, she's not. Well, she did a pretty good job of controlling her own caucus. Yeah. Which, is what which is what you're laughing off McCarthy for doing. McCarthy has I never watched her go 15 rounds on the floor. I mean, what are we talking about? She, When Kevin McCarthy is the speaker with a small majority, when Republicans have the White House and the Senate, and he can legislatively accomplish all that she did during the last few years, then I'll say you're right, Ronnie. But until then, and God willing, I'm never going to have to see that. I, I'm I'm just gonna leave it there. You, Republicans he, are a bit more independent thinkers. That's why I took 15 rounds. <laughs> Thank you. Number yeah. one, number two, number two. I think if you ask the people who who didn't support McCarthy, those five that still did not support McCarthy and ended up voting present, I think you would say you would hear from them. They would change their vote if they had it to do all over again, which is the same thing that would happen. Except for, for Matt Gates. We now take a moment for the we now take a moment for the both sidesism portion of the bell. Oh, love it. Globalist banker. We should have like a little tune, Howard, or uh, we should talk to the guys. We should have a little like music thing that happens. A little break, a little like break in music. (laughs) Caitlin, just join me in turning your speakers off. (laughs) I know both parties are are at fault for constantly taking us to the brink on policy decisions. And I think it leads to serious cynicism among the population because we sit there and we look at what we what they're doing and we say to ourselves, yeah, they're fighting. Yes, they have their position staked out. But at the end of the day, they're going to get to an agreement and pass a bill. It's like the debate in the run-up to that doesn't even matter. And people tune it out. And it's, yeah, okay, McCarthy passed a bill, but it's like, at the end of the day, that bill isn't going to pass, which I'm not saying it's not relevant that he did it, but it's it's like the debate doesn't even matter in the run-up to extending the debt ceiling, which everybody knows at the end of the day is going to happen because they're not taking us over a cliff. So what are these guys doing? They're just talking in their little echo chamber. Nobody really cares what they're talking about. And that's kind of where we are. And I think that is corrosive. Wait a minute. Wait it's a minute. corrosive. We're, our own, we're in our own echo chamber and nobody cares what we're talking about. Is that I, what you just said? I think. On this podcast? <laughs> I think the average American thinks that about Washington and these, and these, these debates. And they're right. And that's corrosive. And it's both parties. Well, you know, one thing I, I've just come to the realization of, and it's taken since 2008, 2009, and I counseled my then boss to vote against the TARP program. And now I, I feel vindicated because I wouldn't give Howard Schweitzer that power. I mean, the globalist, the banker, this guy, the both sidesism, And then you got the Democrat, Patrick, who's really good, been here longer than us. Oh, uh, you know, Howard and Patrick 
they were wearing the same labeled shirts. I mean, it's a, oh my this is all some kind of Roddy, I got a t-shirt on. You're the one with a collar. I don't know what, who you're trying to impress this morning, yeah, but I'm, I'm just a regular guy on a Friday. You're, I have you're a t-shirt too and a, and an old vest and a yeah. hat don't and a rusty hat. And, here. I don't, you know, and I got You know, head. I got work to do after this podcast. I got to go on a <laughs> yeah. Zoom where I actually have to, you know, comb my hair. You know, this is this is what <laughs> I have to do. But let me go get my bush light and let me put the what a tagine little salt on it. Your tagine. little your little bourgeois <laughs> margarita rim. Oh, oh that sounds so good. Absolutely, I'm going to do that, and I'm going to be like, oh, you know what? Howard might be right. I'm glad he saved this economy in 2008, 2009 from the brink of disaster. I'm so sorry I counseled my boss to vote against that program. Well, you should be because it didn't cost the taxpayer anything at the end of the day. It was actually a net positive for the taxpayer from a from a financial point of view because it was it was well run. There was no fraud in the program, Rodney. Unlike <laughs> the programs you passed in 2020. That are ripe with fraud. Did a dollar of TARP money ever go anywhere it wasn't supposed to go? Let me answer the question for you. No. That's because adults were watching where the dollars went. So globalist both sidesism. Oh, wearing the fancy labeled vest <laughs> with a t-shirt underneath. I mean, Caitlin, come All right, on. Guys, how did you work down. with these guys? Hey, down. Howard is actually right. The TARP program did work well. And I got to give Howard a lot of credit for that. But as somebody at the time who was looking politically and thinking yeah. for my boss only about the politics of it, it was the best political vote. But in the end, well, it was not the best economic vote, not the best vote for our country. Listen, and nor should it have been, which is the point on all of, all of this stuff. Like, TARP exactly. should not have been an easy decision. It should These have been an easy decision, but it goes back to what you were saying is, unfortunately, politics brings these decisions to the brink and it does have an effect as much as i joke around on the nation's psyche but that's what they choose when they choose divided government well listen we had divided government back then and you had i mean i was there hank paulson under a republican president was talking every single day to Barack Obama, who was a candidate for president. You had Tim Geithner at the New York Fed, the next Treasury Secretary under a Democrat, talking every hour of every day with Ben Bernanke and Hank Paulson. There, yes, Congress debated the heck out of this. The House voted down tarp the first time it came to the floor. It, this should have been really difficult to do, but at the end of the day, you had Republicans and Democrats working cooperatively. You had Hank Paulson demanded his campaign contributions to John McCain back from John McCain because John McCain wasn't, he was undermining what we were doing from in terms of stabilizing the financial system. Wait he, a minute, McCain was putting politics above the country? I know, now. hard to believe. Talk about somebody who's lionized in a way that isn't consistent with the the record. I'm sure people will yell at me for that, but it is a hundred percent, hundred percent true. You had and look, it should have been hard. It should have been really hard to do because you should. The government should only in the most dire 
circumstances should the government do something like that. It should be exceedingly painful and difficult to do. And but, we should but, they, it, but it happened. You got it, it done. It happened and it was done, even though people at the time beat the hell out of us, which was fine. Like we had people there who could take it. Like by design, people were in those seats because they could stand the heat. And it got done, it got executed, and all the back and forth was was legitimate and, and fine, but it was actually done with moderation. And that's exactly what's going to happen with this debt limit. We'll see. We'll see. What wasn't done with moderation was all the stuff over the last couple of years. Oh, and agree. unfortunately, I think there's a lot of overcorrection. For, look, generals are always fighting the last war, as our friend and partner Mark Alderman likes to say. I think he takes original credit for the quote. I'm not quite sure Mark invented the quote, but he is older than us, so he's not. A, he is a boomer, Caitlin. <laughs> true, but they're always fighting the last war. So on some level, Everything's you're kind of you're always overcorrecting for the past. But mm, we're at a tough time. We are. Um, but can Thank we uh, can we take a vote? Because I know Howard's going to like abstain, like Barack Obama used to do in the Illinois Senate a lot, but. Whose fault is this debt limit fight on this podcast? Caitlin, I'm going to nominate as Patrick's fault. You agree? Oh, which of, not who in power it's their fault, but who, the on this pod, who individually yeah. on this podcast is responsible. It's definitely me. It's Patrick. For sure. For sure. Why is it Patrick? Hey, the vote. Is it Patrick or not? You're going to say no, or you're going to abstain? It's like my usual. fault. It's just because I, Towner's not here, so we had to pick on someone today. Yeah. I think it's your fault, Rodney. You're the one that passed <laughs> all this overly stimulative. I was waiting for you guys Rodney's to do that. He's a very that. stimulated I guy. Yeah. I had to blame somebody <laughs> so you guys would get to the point where, yes, I got to take some blame for this. I was there. I cast the vote. I listened to the advisors that at a crisis time, and oh. in the end, we made mistakes. Alas, and it's both sides. No, it, it, yeah, because it was virtually unanimous. The only one who stood up and was just, I mean, ripped on social media by the president at the time was Thomas Massey. He's the only one who can stand up and say he's been the consistent messenger. However, I would argue that consistently voting no on everything doesn't make you a consistent messenger. So do you guys think that people are more interested in hearing us talk about margaritas or yes. politics. I, I vote margaritas. 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 Definitely margaritas. By the way, it's only 10 a.m., but... I really want a margarita. So, so do I, and someone somewhere is drinking... Good thing we're lobbyists. <laughs> someone somewhere... They're definitely drinking down in the Keys. ...is drinking think, a spicy margarita, Caitlin. Do you think or, the AmeriHealth Caritas folks I got to talk to in two minutes would mind <laughs> yeah. if I popped my bush light with margarita salt on it? Not, Not margarita salt, tagine or tahine, whatever tajin. it is. Tajine, tahine, Patrick. <laughs> How old? All right, guys, let's wrap up. Patrick, Rodney, Caitlin, a is fun, it funny... Is have a French accent? Is that is that politically incorrect to be make fun of the French now? May we? Uh, <laughs> everybody have a great weekend. We will be back next week. A fun episode. Hopefully, we didn't torture our listeners too much. 
Thanks, and guys. You'll, you'll find out if they like the change. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. You've been listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.